0: Welcome to Risk Roundup. Today's cyberspace is a contested common along with aquaspace, geospace, and space, and its use as a battleground to wage war is rapidly intensifying. In fact, cyberspace seems to be evolving faster than the policymakers' ability to handle the transformative changes brought on by the emerging technologies. So keeping up with the rapidly growing complexity of the raging war in cyberspace is a challenge facing not only nations' military, but also individuals and entities across nations, its government industries, organizations, and academia, including the policy community. So how do nations keep up? How can nations individually and collectively respond to the complex security, legal, and policy challenges of cyberspace? And due to cyberspace in aquaspace, geospace, and space, how can nations develop a theoretical and doctrinal legal and policy infrastructure capable of integrating transformative technologies from cyberspace, aquaspace, geospace, and space? To discuss cyber warfare and policy further. I'm delighted to welcome Professor Dr. O'Shawn Cupp to Risk Roundup. Dr. Cupp is a professor at US Army and is based in the United States. Welcome, Professor Cup. We are so very honored to have you on Risk Roundup.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me.
0: Wonderful, Professor Cupp So it seems that cyberspace is emerging as a primary domain of warfare. So as we evaluate the contested commons of all, you know, cyberspace, aquaspace, geospace, and space. How and why is cyber warfare unique as compared to warfare in the other contested commons like geospace, aquaspace, and space, and uh, how, you know, normally people refer to it as land, sea, air, and space?
1: A couple of things is uh, the other what we call domains have physical constraints to them. In cyberspace, we look at cyber as fixed, as computers and IT systems, and then it has virtual, which is the internet, other other ways we can, can communicate. And it has cognitive space where humans think and act out where cyberspace can go, will go, can be used, how it can be used. So it crosses other aspects that the other four physical domains do not touch.
0: Yes, that is very true. And uh, uh, one of the points that, you know, you have made in uh, the paper that you have uh, recently published on Risk Group is that uh, the cyberspace is the only domain that is entirely man-made. And we we have created, maintained, owned and operated collectively by not just, you know, the military, but by the public and private stakeholders. So, this is a very unique space that we have developed and uh, it is not subject to any geopolitical or natural boundaries and uh, information and, you know, that goes uh, on the internet and it's deployed instantaneously between any point of origin and any destination. Connected through the electromagnetic spectrum. Now, the electromagnetic spectrum that is one you know question I have about that you have not addressed in your paper, but I have been thinking about it is that there are two different sets of electromagnetic spectrum. One is natural uh, electromagnetic spectrum that we have always been exposed to, it is always there in the atmosphere. But the other one that is man made, that electromagnetic spectrum is involved here in the cyberspace. So, what Have you, uh, what are your observations about this man-made spectrum, the electromagnetic spectrum, about, you know, what are the differences between the natural and man-made spectrum, electromagnetic spectrum, and whether that brings uh, the rewards that we are, you know, benefiting because of the electromagnetic spectrum and the development of this uh, cyberspace internet? whether they are, you know, enough for us to go through the risk that, you know, it uh, emerges because the man-made electromagnetic spectrum is, uh, you know, supposedly has a polarized spectrum and, you know, it creates many uh, complex security challenges, uh, complex health challenges. So is that something that we all should be concerned about for this, you know, man-made cyberspace?
1: I would believe that inside that uh, cyberspace, we have some paradoxes. Uh, If we look through a military military lens of application, uh, three, at least three paradoxes come about. One is a a near peer uh, like Russia or China uh, fields militaries that are similar to us in capabilities and abilities. And those characteristics like advanced technology, professional soldiers, relative combat power equal to our own nation state. Uh, a near peer is just as dependent upon the man-made electromagnetic spectrum as we are, for one, collecting information, data, turning it into intelligence, turning it into information we can act upon, uh, knowledge that is used in planning for military Um, shared understanding and decision-making those near peer competitors are just as dependent upon that information as we are Uh, one issue with that is if you don't have a way to collect that information or at least parts of that not using the electromagnetic spectrum that is man-made you will have A lot of problems trying to execute in a cyberspace any non-lethal or lethal uh, actions because you can be shut down in that man-made electromagnetic spectrum. Yes. Yes. The the second paradox is because we're dependent on that. If you don't have backup systems, redundant systems that are analog. Um, especially in the military we have targeting systems that are electronic which were based upon systems that we did mathematically through charts, what we would call charts and darts. Uh, If we don't rely and train and educate people to use those and only rely on the electromagnetic spectrum that is man-made then if that electromagnetic spectrum is jammed Uh, overcome, denied, then the targeting, for example, would not be able to be accomplished if you don't know how to do it with uh, the charts and darts methodology. Another, Another paradox is that because the cyberspace and electromagnetic spectrum is built, we have state non-state what I like to call free state surrogate single action or criminal actors and they all can relatively play can play relatively on a on a level playing field yes. um, because everybody has a computer everybody has the ability to interact with other people on that computer then that levels the playing field that lowers the requirement for those other actors to actually engage in the electromagnetic spectrum that's man-made to the point where you can use tools online. You get a computer for a uh, thousand, thousand, fifteen hundred bucks, and you can be an actor on that same electromagnetic spectrum just like a nation state actor is. Uh, And you mentioned another point that I made was the other domains are somewhat fixed and are not man-made. The other point about cyberspace and the the man-made portion of the electromagnetic spectrum is that it is almost infinite. Yes. Uh, It is the one that is self-replicating. It continues to evolve continues to grow continue, and, and the probably the most is that it can in, continues to be interconnected with others. So that's the beauty of the internet was that we have multiple ways to get from point A to point Z so that if connections were lost, servers were down, you could still get there. But that is also somewhat of a dual edged sword where if we have multiple connections and we become even more connected then that allows someone of ill intent.
0: Yes. Yes, very true. Very true. Now i mean, you, you made some really interesting points about the capability that other nations like you know Russia and China and North Korea and everyone uh, they have similar capabilities and that creates that uh, many, you know, security risk for uh, United States and also, you know, uh, the rest of the world. So those are, you know, challenges coming our way. But the point that you made about the analog system, you know, the backup system, I, I, I think that you are right on that. Because to when we decided to develop this Internet, the cyberspace entirely digital that that probably was you know in my assessment a mistake we, we everything if we see nature is built on analog and to go purely digital was a mistake, and I think we need to have a good balance between analog and digital. So when you said, when I read in your paper that you know you are suggesting that we need to have analog backup systems, because yes, we everything is getting digitized, everything is getting on the internet, and you know even if we have all kinds of security protocols and you know everything that is uh, necessary, uh, whatever is available today. We still are vulnerable because, you know, as you know that, you know, all the equipments, you know, that are connected to internet, they are all, you know, connected to cyberspace. And you know, each one of those units, whether it's an iPhone or whether it's an iPad or computer or you know, Internet of Things, everything is connected to now cyberspace. So the our attack surface is increasing. Our vulnerabilities are increasing. So as we develop all these critical systems, not only for military, but, you know, for our financial systems or, you know, transportation systems or uh, telecommunication, any kind of system, we, uh, nations are very vulnerable because uh, hackers or, you know, criminals or nation states uh, who wants to destroy other nation, they can uh, easily, you know, go and uh, uh, destroy those systems. So we do need backups. So your point that you made about having analog backup systems, is very welcoming because I, I think that, you know, in spite of, you know, us developing all these cyber systems, even if we go uh, and use blockchains and, you know, develop systems on that, we still need backup systems so that in case we are under attack, then we have something that we can rely on that we can quickly, you know, use those analog backup systems and we don't lose our data information and the systems that we have developed, information capability that we have developed. So I hope that, you know, nations... See the point in this, you know, proposal and uh, work towards it because that is a absolutely, you know, right tone suggestion from your side that you know we do need to develop a backup system. Now, when we talk about cyberspace, uh, it is not just that you know the warfare is happening only with military. Now, the boundaries between you know nations, military, or you know the attacks happening on industries or governments or organizations, academia, or even individuals—they are all blurring. So attack, when do we know, know that the attack that is happening is, you know, a warfare event that, you know, military needs to get involved because attacks are happening every day. You know, their industries are targeted, you know, organizations are targeted, individuals are targeted. So at what point nations military decides that, OK, this is an attack on our country and we do need to get involved now? Uh,
1: that's both a theoretical and a philosophical uh, question from a theoretical point of view uh, I would suggest that um, the decision makers those in charge uh, already have some sort of measure that states if they make a certain attacks known or done, or or do certain attacks then then it then the military is brought in. Uh, a philosophical version of that is something we could debate more um, because the attacks of uh, Sony in 2014, uh, the president at the time made certain references that that was a attack on our country because it was an attack on intellectual property, mm-hmm. it was an attack on uh, releasing... Um, Information that was not public record uh, didn't. It was against our laws, the Freedom of Information Act. Um, you know, some of that information probably could have been released through FOIA, but most of it wouldn't have been. So, from a philosophical standpoint, uh, when the military gets involved, uh, one, it it's 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 classified at much higher grades than that I, I work at, and. I know that we have a lot of people that work in that area and there are probably measures that have uh, certain items that have to be fulfilled before the military does get involved. Um, I've I've seen uh, software from various various, uh, vendors that you can go online and you can watch actual attacks that are happening. Uh, from across the world to the United States and it's anything from businesses to the government to state entities Um, and and that's one thing that most citizens do not understand the number of attacks that are happening from like I suggested earlier just one person with one computer and they don't even have to buy the tools there are sites on 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 the internet that actually give the tools away uh, actually um, encourage that behavior yeah. and so anybody can theoretically anybody can go do that type of thing that's the other problem with the internet is attribution um, when you have a military intervention um, you have to Uh, from some aspect, be able to attribute that attack to someone else. And usually that would be a nation state or a non-nation state actor. The problem with all the other actors that I talked about, the free actors are acting on their own, the criminal actors that are acting for criminal intent, uh, either for stealing money or stealing services or both those are hard to justify military action against because they're criminals. They're, they're not necessarily a state or nation state where you, within our current boundaries. But you bring up some other points. There are very few lines now. With cyberspace, from a theoretical standpoint, there are some theorists that believe that cyberspace is just another tool some theorists have thought that cyberspace will not, uh, is going to revolutionize but not fundamentally change warfare. There's other uh, theorists that believe that cyberspace is part of the environment. Um, I'm in a fourth area, which I'm still working on a an overall unified theory, at least for debate, so it would be published so people talk about it, that cyberspace will become the domain that we use, because it will be the one domain that can control or at least influence all the other domains. Yes. None of the other domains can do that.
0: Yes, very true, Um, because they are all interconnected, you are right.
1: So I think that from a theoretical standpoint, as far as theory of cyberspace, um, eventually, I think we are going to acknowledge, because of the interconnectivity, because of the way we have built our systems, that people are going to be, and there's examples already, that people have been able to uh, hack into um, unmanned aerial systems, people have been able to hack into airplanes, um, and eventually people will be able to hack into other systems that we, we have now. One of the things you discussed earlier was the analog systems here locally. I live near Kansas City and there's lots of uh, underground limestone caves that are commercial spaces that continuation of operations, files, records, electronic and analog are stored so that those businesses have something to fall back on, they rent space or buy space to do that. So businesses already do that. So I'm hoping that the federal government, state governments are doing the same thing so that we have something to fall back on if our systems are corrupted or corrupted beyond repair or corrupted to the point where we have to start over again. Um, But there are some... Areas where uh, disasters have occurred, where businesses have been able to start again based upon their analog systems, that they, analog data, analog files that they had saved.
0: So, is that a widespread practice among the businesses to have an analog backup
1: system? Usually, it is if they're at a certain level, most, and when I talk level, uh, size. Uh, depending on how many employees you have, but that is fundamentally something that's happening now across most of the world. But especially what I know about the United States is you have enough businesses here that have uh, headquarters in the center of the United States that are big enough to actually do that. They have to keep the records, and you have other segments of the uh, of of the uh, populace like lawyers medical records that people do keep hard copies of i mean if you go to a doctor now uh, you may fill out a bunch of paper or well, where does that all paper go to whenever you're a new patient at a doctor's office if you're a new client at a lawyer's office where does all that paper go because you're still filling out paper somewhere most places you go it's not all digital it's not all it's not all ipad and filling out blanks even those are kept somewhere um, so that that is an analog solution that is in place. I'm not a public administration person, so I can't tell you what percentage or how much, but I know it does exist. And it's something that should be replicated across the government. And, and I know uh, it is high on the business requirements. Um, I don't know what the statutory requirements are, but I know it is high on especially medical and lawyers.
0: Yes no I, I, I think you are absolutely right. I agree with you on this that this is a necessity, especially for critical infrastructure. We do need all that data you know backed up in an analog system. Now you know it may be impossible to keep a paper stack of all of it, but but we do need to create. Uh, backup systems that are not connected to the internet and that that saves all the data. So there is an absolute need for that and I hope that you know the practice grows more and every uh, organization that has something important vital data to save that they all have analog backup because there is no guarantee that you know anything connected to internet is always going to be secure. So we do need to have a backup. Now in your paper you make an interesting point that Cyberspace is a military domain. What exactly do you mean by that, that it's a military domain?
1: Well, all the domains, all all the other domains that we have, sea, air, land, space, are domains of operation. Uh, We've recognized over the last 15 to 20 years that cyberspace is a domain also. Uh, That is, What does that mean? That means it's another area, another realm that we have to engage state and non-state actors in, um, we're still trying to develop, at least from my aspect, the theoretical parts of that. We have, we've developed some of the um, response and some of the analysis and some of the uh, data gathering. So we know when we are being attacked, we know what happens, we know who's, we're, we're trying to find out who's attacking us. A lot of that, once again, is classified But as a domain of operation, that means that we need to train and educate and develop people who know those skills, who can be part of our reaction to those state and non-state actors in that domain, just like we build aircraft carriers and submarines and Army divisions and uh, U.S. Air Force uh, fighter wings And all that force structure and all that that we do in the Department of Defense, cyberspace is just another part of that. Recently, within the last five years, we have a combatant command, Cybercom. Each of the services have their own uh, command underneath that. So we are recognizing slowly that it is a domain. It needs to be reckoned with. It needs to have... uh, resources placed against it, it will from now, well, before now and into the future, compete with resources, just like all the other domains, sea, air, space, land, just like we now have a new space uh, command that's coming online very shortly, it will also be competing with resources with that new command. What does that mean to the average American? It means that their dollars for taxes are going to be split more ways. So what does that mean to decision makers in Washington, D.C., and people out in the public is their decisions are going to become more critical when we divert resources, reduce resources, or uh, divert and build other things that the decisions makers believe we need. For example, the force structure needed for Cyber Command and for example Cyber Command somewhere, they didn't come from nowhere. They had to be diverted. Something else had to be reduced to come up with that force structure. Uh, And I'm sure that the same thing will happen with Space Command. There's billions of dollars that'll be diverted from somewhere else that will be used for that. Um, I I don't know what the end state's going to be. I know that we will be continuing to struggle with the challenge of cyberspace because it will continue to be a challenge. It's not going away. Um, And once again, just to reiterate, it will be the one area, the one domain that we will continue to use and others will use to influence the other domains, space, air, land, and sea, to the point where I believe in 15 to 20 years, um, some of the things we do in in those other domains, we might be doing in the cyber domain. Yes,
0: yes, I I hear you on that. And you are right that we do, there is a critical need for effective solutions to stabilize the cyberspace so that we can focus on other endeavors, like, you know, what is happening in space. So resources are going to be a huge challenge. But in your paper, you write something very interesting about the... Uh, cyberspace that is rapidly expanding whether it follows any laws of nature. You say that, uh, uh, you talked about the Newton's laws of motion and that, you know, these uh, cyberspace, the military domain that uh, we have developed that is restricted in terms of Newton's laws of motion. Can you explain that?
1: Just basically that the laws of motion are in the physical domains cyberspace electromagnetic spectrum that the man-made is not necessarily attuned to any of the laws that newton came up with because one it's man-made and two it's not restricted in complexity size or scope Uh, it doesn't adhere to any you know acceleration net force mass of an object Um, the complexity will continue to be there Uh, from nanotechnology to artificial intelligence to whatever we dream up of next. The complexity will continue to be there. The amount of data you can see just in 40 years, that data, the ability to store data has gone uh, doubled every 18 months, Moore's laws. Some of those laws continue to be perpetuated. Some of them we've... uh, Eventually, those will go by the wayside because we will just be replicating the size, scale, complexity of cyberspace on a daily basis or an hourly basis just because of it will start. Cyberspace itself, especially when we get to AI and artificial intelligence, we'll have machines you know, telling us what we need to do with the machines um, and interjecting uh, physical laws into that is is a mute point because right now we build everything. Well, in the future, man might not be building everything. Man might be observing or man might be controlling but not actually building parts that get integrated into the internet, into cyberspace, into the man-made portion of the electromagnetic spectrum, into whatever the next... Um, realm is as far as if if we are able to connect with others on a continuous basis, like we are with social media, we don't know what it will be like in fifteen or twenty years to connect with other people or other institutions. Who, who knows? Yes,
0: yes. So very likely, you're right that you know AI could take over. You know some of those developments, and we just will be observing, you know, because they'll be much more intelligent and uh, highly efficient to take care of a lot of tasks, you know, that we humans will uh, take a long time to do. So, yes, that is a very likely possibility. Now, you also talk about uh, need for open, I mean, the impossibility rather, you know, to open a perfect one-way portal to the cyberspace commons. Because every, you know, we know that as the number of devices and technology platforms, That are connected to the internet, Uh, they are growing, and you know each of them can be used for cyber warfare. So it's uh, even for military to defend attacks coming from any and all of these devices and rapidly evolving uh, technology platforms is going to be very difficult. So uh, it's it would be good to have a perfect one way portal to the cyberspace commons, but uh, it seems that there is a Difficulty in developing those kind of one-way portal that, uh, uh, you know, we can just uh, grow any data sent over this domain and, you know, not everyone will be able to access that. So is there any technical way that we can develop that one-way communication and we can minimize the risk, security risks that are emerging because, you know, everyone has access to the entire cyberspace and we don't want everyone to see what, you know, data we are sending.
1: Unfortunately, I'm more of a theorist than I am a wire or code head person. Um, I look at it from my military background and my academic background that the limits are uncharted. They're not, they're not going to get any easier to comprehend. They're going to be harder. Um, the one-way uh, portal is something that's out there that people have discussed. Um, that was something I got in the literature, um, relatively recently from a, a conference about how are we going to contest and the theory of conflict in cyberspace. But I don't think that I don't think that we're there yet. That may that may be something that AI has to be involved with to actually get to that point. I think the other issues, understanding that near peers have the same problems we have, uh, understanding that analog is a necessity, understanding that the Internet doesn't have the same laws of physical laws that we – or cyberspace doesn't have the same physical laws that we observe in nature and the other four physical domains, and being able to – Express both government and military planning. I, I don't think cyberspace is is a tool. It is a domain. We need to recognize it as a domain. It needs to be used, investigated, discussed, theorized as a domain. Um, because, like I said, I, I'm I'm of the mind that it it will be the one domain that influences the other ones eventually. Um, we never we never thought of warfare the last uh 200 300 years the, the same way as we did the 500 years previous to that yes. and i think that warfare is going to continue to evolve at least in this domain on a geometric scale not not seen by us as humans uh, before
0: yes Yes. But I, I agree with you that this is a domain. We are way past the point where cyberspace was just a tool, you know, and we were using it as a tool to connect with other, you know, social on social media or, you know, to other uh, organizations. We are way past that. Cyberspace has become, a you know, very much a domain that is, in fact, interconnecting and integrating, you know, all the other domains. So Because of cyberspace now, you know, geospace, space and aqua space, everything is connected. So it is a domain and we need to address it uh, from the perspective of a domain. So having said that, what policy suggestions you have, you recommend based on all the analysis that you have done, based on what you have observed, you know, uh, in in your life's journey, in your professional career, Based on that, based on what challenges we see in cyberspace currently, what policy suggestions you recommend that we need to start debating so that we can uh, implement those and we can develop those policies in a timely manner?
1: The first one goes back to what you talked about earlier with infrastructure. There's something called a SCADA, that's supervisory control and data acquisition that is the systems that manually control street lights, sewer systems, water, flooding. Um, On a town by town basis, most of those were connected previously to one computer. They were not connected to the internet. They were old, they had old code, they were not, necessarily something that could be hacked, but recently, most of those systems have become commercialized to the point where they are connected to the internet. They can be controlled or hacked. Uh, Regulatory, uh, at least from a standpoint of regulation, that is one area that we can't afford to have be interdicted because that also controls power. It also controls lots of other infrastructure requirements. I think that is one of the biggest areas that we need to change the way we do business back to something that is not connected to the internet, that is protected, um, that doesn't need the, the the glitzy new software updates every five years or every other year to do the work it's supposed to do, control levees, control uh, dams, control streetlights, control power plants, septic plants, water treatment plants. Uh, those don't necessarily have to have the newest version of software to do that. The other, the other part um, that is not military-related is our banking systems and our record systems that we've already talked about. Some of that is already being done. Uh, the medical and legal professions may already have a lot of requirements to have records on file, backup records on file. Um, But from a governmental standpoint, federal government, state government, um, I think that we need to educate people first. And we don't do a very good job of that because most Americans use technology for recreation uh social media keeping track of where my son or daughter is uh where my spouse is um we're more apt to use it for recreation than we are for uh or convenience being able to bank and do things online without really understanding how much of a risk that may or may not be um But I think education is probably the number one place that we could make changes to how we do things before a public can actually vote and actually vote on people that will make decisions that are in our best interest long term versus uh, what's good for the next election cycle. That's probably the biggest, biggest problem I see.
0: Yes, very true, very true. So what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners, especially those young, brilliant minds that are out there? And uh, somehow, you know, they are getting drawn towards this uh, criminal industry that is growing in uh, where they can make, you know, easy profit or, you know, where they can destroy systems. So what would you like to tell them to change their course and come on the side of security in you know, building Uh, systems that are secured so that we can solve many complex problems facing humanity and uh, as we may have to you know start thinking about developing uh, uh, our homes on other planets so you know there is a lot of resources a lot of brain power that we need for all those uh, different challenges that are coming our way so we do need young brilliant minds working for the right causes so what would you like to tell them?
1: I would suggest that anybody that's uh, a young member of our society that is drawn to either coding or wire uh, wiring uh, or just cyberspace Internet in in, in general uh, and sees the easy, quick money side of it, that the, the, it's hard to convince someone who's had this technology in their hands their entire lifetime, as opposed to someone like me who has not, who has grown up with most of the technology that we have now. um, I don't know the right words to convince them to say, hey, uh, you need to go to school. You need to go to get a certification. You need to go, if you want to make money, you can make money in this field in the security aspects, you know, get a CS, CISSP certificate. That's something you can get working in the field. Uh, there's credentials to get in the field to get, and you don't necessarily have to have a four-year college degree. You don't necessarily have to have a master's degree or terminal degree. You can get in this field and do things for our country, for your nation, for your state, for your local community that involve uh, technical skills that involve um, policy uh, requirements that need technical information. You, you need to have somebody who knows what they're doing to inform the people that are making the decisions for the resources that are going to be used to either manage the security, manage properly how we're going to uh, keep records, where the record's going to be kept. Um, but I, I think It's not something that requires eight or 10 or 12 years of college education to go out and and make an impact, make be an influence in the field. I think um, a lot of people are self-taught, especially people that get online at a young age and go places where they probably shouldn't go and learn things they probably shouldn't learn. Those are the types of people that we need because they know what the other side is thinking. They know what the other side does. They know the other side's thought patterns and decision-making cycles. Those are the kinds of people that we need to recruit. And maybe some of our guidelines need to be adjusted, especially in the military. They have already acknowledged that some of those recruiting and retention requirements are going to have to be adjusted to get the quality people we need to do the quality work.
0: Yes. Yes, very true. No, you're absolutely right. So uh, thank you so much, Professor Kapp, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on uh, the complex challenges that the cyberspace brings and the policy recommendations. So our global viewers and listeners, I'm sure that they would benefit tremendously from the information you provided today. And we thank you for that. Thank you. Wonderful, Professor. So, Risk Roundup, a global initiative launched by Risk Group, is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies, technology convergence, and transformation happening across cyberspace, aquaspace, geospace, and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, Risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict and it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Relation becomes our security, so if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup video or your podcast, please go to riskgrouplsc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayshree, host of Risk Roundups. I will see you next time. Thank you.